Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, and I'm here, as always, with my dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts, fellow Regional Master Instructor. How are you, Wendy? I am good, Marty. How are you? Excellent. As you can see, I'm like on the road again, but I'm in Massachusetts, <laughs> Boston. So every week, it seems like I'm somewhere new, but so it's kind of fun. I'm telling you, I'm traveling through your life. So thanks for bringing the different places to us. How about that? <laughs> I will be in another location. So we'll, well there you go. <laughs> so as we get started, last week, Wendy, we went over CPT6 versus CPT7. We got a lot of great feedback, people understanding why NASM continues to push the envelope in research and bringing new updated content, even though the model's the model, but just finding new ways to speak to it. And this week we want to talk about the new changes that we brought into the corrective exercise specialist course. Yes, I know. Um, I mean, like you said, Marty, people were asking us about it. And I know that we've touched a little bit on the corrective exercise when we've gone through, you know, building out our templates and talking about different um, populations and how important it is to include include a corrective exercise. So I think just just doing a quick you know, webinar just to make sure everyone is familiar with the updates, especially if you've taken the CES a while ago. Um, one of the questions we get, and I'm just going to answer right off the bat, because we have a new textbook and there is some change or there are some changes um, within the textbook, it does not mean that you have to go and sit for the, the new corrective exercise. However, I think, you know, really getting into the content and learning about the changes and why those changes happened is extremely important. So therefore you guys are obvi obviously well up to date and you feel very comfortable in your programming and you have good rationales of why you're doing what you're doing. Absolutely. And I, I think another thing that comes across sometimes in my coffee talks, or I know that you've had emails is somebody that goes to the CPT, they're going, what's next? And I know you and I are both biased to the, the whole model, but you know, the corrective exercise specialist is so important in what we do because everybody's going to have some level of movement dysfunction. Everybody needs that targeted warm up. So I love the corrective exercise specialist for those who have yet to take it because it truly is the foundation that the rest of the model was built on. And some of us old timers learned it simultaneously. And then it was a new cr uh, credential because there was so much content. But if you've yet to take the CES, I highly recommend it because I want to just have an, a great understanding of how everybody moves. I want to understand how I can help them either move better or continue having them move well as they increase their activity and or go through different things in life, you know, injuries or other things. So I just, to me, it's the foundation of everything I do. Oh, I, I mean, I think that's a great point. And I know, you know, when we talk about corrective exercise, it really can be used with every population. And there is a purpose for why we do what we do. Um, like I said, even when you're training someone for the highest level and an, an elite athlete, if you can actually help with any kind of impairment and then fix that, so they have better movement quality and patterns when they're doing something, they're gonna perform even better than they were before they came in to see you. So to me, I think basically having a very clear and good understanding of corrective exercise is what really made me different um, because I spent a lot of time with it. Uh, those of you guys that have listened to the Random Fit podcast, we even had Grant Hill on the other day and he was talking about just something as simple as a wall slide being so difficult um, because when you do things correctly and you are a stickler with form and quality of movement patterns and the five kinetic chain checkpoints, it is a complete 
completely different exercise than if somebody just went up and just started hiking their leg up and down up against a wall. So just understanding that, you know, really focusing on form movement and and identifying the weaknesses to help someone um, become stronger, then it's going to reduce injury. So we really are preventing injuries. And we're also helping somebody that is coming in with some discomfort that we can easily get them out of pain by just activating muscles that have gone on vacation and said, you know what, I'm, I've had it. And other muscles having to, to step in and do jobs that that's not even what they were they were tasked to do, you know. So, well, it's so funny, I, funny you mentioned Sorry, I, I cut you off there. It's funny you mentioned yeah. because I was working, you know, I say working with, I'm not full time with this uh, individual. He's a, a fighter in the UFC, but I was we were talking and he's like, yeah, you know, my foot, just like all athletes, they just kind of fluff it off. And I'm like, well, but how are you training and doing your cardio if your foot's bothering you? And he's like, well, I, I kind of adapted to this and I've adapted to that. So he had to work around it. So we did the evaluation. We went through the assessment, found out that his ankle wasn't moving well and connected the dots on how that would create X, Y, and Z and gave him the corrective exercise strategies. But now he has the ability to train the way he wants to train. And, you know, now he doesn't have to self-limit. He doesn't have to, you know, worry about how he's going to get his cardio in because, you know, he was just kind of like, well, that's just a part of training. Like, no, no, if you move incorrectly, especially when you move to the volume of that you're moving, these things can happen. So let's address it. And it was, it was simple following the corrective exercise model and going through it. But it's, it was like that light bulb moment for him. Like, oh my God, I don't have to suffer with this and I don't have to, work around things. There's a way for me to correct things and move better. Well, yes. And, and often, you know, if you're, especially if you're new to training, we always think, what is the hardest program we can build? You know, because, you know, we're trying to, you know, really just make sure that the, the client knows that, that they came to see you. And so therefore they're in so much pain, they're really sore. And that really isn't the, that isn't what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get someone to to understand that if a muscle is shown to be underactive and we can get it to activate correctly by doing, you know, the four step process and then implementing it into a type of program, you're going to have better results. You're going to have longer lasting relationships and your business is going to continually grow because you know, they came in with low back pain and you, you know, they were like, well, okay, obviously we don't deal with pain. However, let's just see how you move. And then you're looking at imbalances, you're identifying imbalances, and then you're just correcting those. So they feel better. So then they don't want to leave you because they're, they're scared that if they leave you, they're going to get that pain back. And so there's a lot of, there's so many positive, um, you know, reasons to perform corrective exercises and they're not easy. They are not easy. If you slow it down, you do it correctly because you're identifying muscles that are underactive, meaning that they have not been working at all. And so, you know, they're going to end up really struggling doing some of these exercises. And so they may look easy on paper, but just realize that what's easy on paper is not easy for someone that has shown to have a compensation. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to do this. We wanted to make sure you guys are very clear and you have a, a clear understanding of why we've made some of these changes. In the corrective exercise, I can't say there are significant changes. However, we wanna make sure everyone's in the know so we can all speak the same language and we all have a clear understanding of why we've updated the research and what we have found that has changed from different versions that we've launched in the past. Perfect. So why don't we jump into it? Yes. So what are we going to talk about 
we're going to talk about the changes of the CDS. That's first and foremost. But, you know, a lot of it, too, is really um, dealing with the assessments. And so we did these um, updates mainly because we saw where some of the trainers were struggling. And so we're going to talk a lot about using the goniometer, which we've done, you know, pot or webinars. Marty and I have done webinars in the past on specifically how to use a goniometer. But, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it takes so much time to learn how to make sure you're reading the right numbers, getting the right positions. So we wanted to provide ways that you could still look at someone's range of motion without having to do a specific measurement, which is going to maximize your results if you, you know, kind of say yes, pass or fail. And you can do it in like a very quick amount of time. And so we're going to spend some time talking specifically on those assessments. We're also going to talk a little bit if we go back to the slide and look, um, we're going to talk a lot about just how you can program design based on those assessments. And then we wanted to make sure that you guys are very clear too that the CES can be a blend into all of the phases of training. And so even though somebody may be, you know, in phase five, if you notice that someone walks in, they have slight external rotation on one foot, then taking a few minutes and really working on, on trying to correct that before you get them to that next level, meaning their next level of that same workout, that's actually something that you want to do. And that would really help that client perform better in a, in a phase five workout. It doesn't mean that, oh, they've got, you know, their foot's turning out, we shouldn't do a phase five if they have successfully gotten up to that phase. And so we wanted to make sure too, that we provided an example of a blend from a CES into a phase one, but just know that could go within any phases. Absolutely. And I, you know, we, you and I have been using this model that way for years, even though it wasn't quite spelled out that way. So I'm really happy now that it's a little more clear as people, you know, get into this content for the first time. Well, and I think, you know, one thing that NASM has provided in the CES textbooks is they have these flows and it's not even just an assessment flow. But as you can see on this chart, you're going to get their intake form. You're going to look at the new PARQ plus, which we talked about in the CPT seven. So it's a, a PARQ that goes into a little more detail. And then you're going to look at them statically. So statically, just how do they stand? How are they comfortable standing? How do they sit? How do they hold their posture um, just from a, you know speaking to you? And then, of course, you're going to get that subjective information. And then we're going to get into the objective information, which is just the actual measurements, the things that we're going to go back and reassess. Um, not saying you're not going to reassess their goals and everything, too, because you want to keep those updated at all times. But, you know, providing, you know, different assessments based on someone when they walk in the door, that can give you such a clear picture of what's going to help them be successful to hit those specific goals that they gave you. Um, and so the flow chart, especially again, if you're new, is super helpful. And I love how they did this because it allows you just to say, okay, I have a new client and we see this on the Facebook page all the time. I'm nervous. They're coming in the first day and I'm not sure what to do. And we want to make sure that it's crystal clear. You guys should do an assessment every single time someone walks through those doors. And then based on that information, you can use this as a guide to help you if there are compensations that were noticed. Yep. And I think that, you know, people get into the gym and they get so excited and they kind of don't really know where to go. So use this as your template. Like it just follow those boxes. As we go down client intake, static posture, your overhead squat and modified your single leg squat. Do you do the dynamic um, loaded assessment, dynamic and load assessments, then mobility assessments, and then your corrective exercise programming. Like it just eventually that will become your normal flow but use this all the time as a guide. And then all of a sudden your assessments get 
cleaner, you get a better understanding and the flow just kind of becomes smoother and easier for you as well. And, you know, and for, you know, when we're looking at this flow chart, if you want someone to start in phase one, which is obviously something that you're going to want to do, they don't have to do a CES workout, mm -hmm. meaning it's just about programming. But what you would end up doing is when you get to the corrective exercise programming and you're looking at the phase one template, just remember inhibit and activate are on that on that actual uh, template. You're already doing that. Same same thing with lengthening because you're going to go inhibit and lengthen together. Activate is going to be more of your core and balance and your integration is more of your total body exercises and then get them into the resistance component. So don't really look at it as as being you know, like a segment, and then you're only going to do CES one day, do a CES blend it, but just know that the CES four step process is that what I have always termed the extended warm up to mm -hmm. the workout, you're preparing the body specifically based off of the goals and the data that you gathered earlier. So therefore you can correct those movement impact or movement impairments. So when they get to the resistance and the body parts, you're seeing that they're going to move through a better range of motion, they're going to have better execution. And so therefore they're going to have better results with every exercise that you have them do. Absolutely. And, you know, I love the, the corrective exercise as an off day of training or first thing, when do you know what time I do this every morning? And even before my cardio sessions, even if I'm not doing resistance training that day, I try to do correctives five, six, seven days a week if I can, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, because we're always in bad posture all the time. So it really kind of can become addicting when you start to feel your body move better, you know quickly, like when you traveled or when you didn't sleep well, you'll start to feel your body, you know, reverting back to some of those faulty movement patterns. So people really, they just feel like, even if they're not working out there, they feel like they have more energy because your body's just working more efficiently. Well, and I will say, and I've said this before, but I, I wanted to say it again, the corrective exercise continuum actually got me out or saved me from going to get surgery. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had um, a really bad neck. I had um, something that happened that actually caused me to have bulging discs. And they told me that the only way that I was going, because one of them was getting ready to blow. And they said the only way that we could actually, you know, help you, meaning I had no feeling. My right arm did not work at all. Like I was literally swinging it around. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And so when I went in, they just said, you know what, you've got some issues in your cervical spine and surgery is the only thing that we can tell you that's that um, is going to fix this. And so what did I do? I do what I normally would do. And instead of going to get a second opinion, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try to do some stuff myself. And so every day, every day I do traction. I do, you know, I follow after traction, go right into foam rolling. I do some lengthening and activation stuff every day. And that surgeon had the conversation with me almost two years ago and my right arm works, my head moves all as well. Um, and so, but it is something that I have to do every day. So it is something that I've made a part of my life. Mm -hmm. However, just realize that, you know, instead of having a client come in and saying, you know, I've, you know, I've got a surgeon that's saying that I have to get cut on, you know, see if there's something that you can do to help or get them stronger, as strong as you can before they have to go into surgery, if that's mm -hmm. something that they have to do in order to fix something. Absolutely. All right. So moving on, there's my little story for the day for y'all get into my personal life right there. <laughs> 
Um, so of course, you know, we want to look at the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And so static posture, you can get so much information even before you have them move. If you just have someone remove their shoes, which I know in this image, it looks like they have shoes on. So remove their shoes um, and then just stand there, put them in the five kinetic chain checkpoints after you just tell them to stand up and look at them in all three planes. That's what I do. I look at them in all three planes. Like, you know, I look from, from the, I'm sorry, all three planes, all three sides. I look from, from the anterior, the lateral, and then from the posterior view. And, you know, and I take notes. And then after that, I put them into the five kinetic chain checkpoints before I do any of the transitional movements. Mm -hmm. Because if you just have someone stand and you tell them to stand with their feet straight and just stand upright, and you just want to see, you know, you're just going to take some notes. They don't know what you're looking for, but you can see how are they comfortable when they're standing there, what's happening at their foot and ankle complex, what's happening at the arch, what's happening at their knees, their shoulders, their head. And that information is going to actually kind of give you a better insight of what you're probably going to see once movement occurs. Yeah. Generally, whatever you see statically only gets worse when you start to add movement. So yes. that'll be them at their best, generally speaking. <laughs> yeah. Just stand there. Don't move. That's it. <laughs> And that's going to be the easiest. Thing, that's what they right? do. Yes. So, Marty, you want to talk about when they start to move? Yes. So, you know, we do want them to move. And obviously, in the fitness industry, we're working with people that are uh, ready to go. You've done their park queue. You know that they're allowed to move. So, we're going to start with the overhead squat assessment. Single leg squat assessment is great, but it's not needed. It is, you know, uh, a nice to do if somebody can maintain their balance enough and or they don't have any lower extremity or hip issues that would preclude them from that. So remember, that is a, not a must do. That's a, a nice to do. But due to that, that there's a big gap between two legs and a single leg, NASM did a really nice job of trying to find something in the middle. And that's what we call our split squat assessment. Think of it like a standing lunge. We go through, we teach it, we look at the different compensations, but it's kind of like a single leg squat with a kickstand. So at least now for the people that truly aren't ready to load their entire body weight on a single leg, we now have that assessment. It's a transitional assessment, but it, to me, it's a transitional between the overhead squat and single leg squat as well. And when we go through the course, we talk about when to use it. You know, if you're doing the single leg squat, you don't necessarily need to do the split squat. But the split squat gives you the ability to move towards a narrow base of support, more body weight on that front leg than the overhead squat, but also now not as challenging neuromuscularly as a single leg squat. So really good addition to these transitional assessments. And remember, um, on top of that, to piggyback what Marty said, you know, if somebody, they may not know how to lunge. So you always want to show, tell, do, even in assessments. So even in the overhead squat, when you put someone in the five kinetic chain checkpoints, you're going to show them how to raise their arm overhead, try to, you know, keep their elbows straight, and then the depth that you want them to go. Because especially if they're new to exercise, they don't know how low um, they're supposed to go. And some people feel like they've got to get butt to the ground. Some people feel like they do a little curtsy. So you want to show them that they need to go in between that enough to, for you to get the, you know, enough data to see truly how their body is moving in that, you know, that particular pattern. But when you get to the single leg um, or the split squat, even uh, that is going to be more of an advanced, as Marty said, an advanced assessment. So if somebody's feet are going out, knees are caving in, and it is, it is, very, very noticeable. It may not be safe at that point, like like Marty had mentioned, to put someone into these more advanced ones. However, if you're not sure or if their knees flare out, I strongly suggest having someone do one of the two, either the single leg squat or the split squat assessment, because you're going to probably see some different results. 
and you're going to notice that maybe they have knee valgus or you know they start to really rotate in their torso because they're trying to maintain you know um trying to maintain their balance and so you can get even more data and if you do the um advanced one so if you do a single leg squat or you do the split squat assessment you're going to take those results over the overhead squat lower body results because you're going to be able to you know see what's happening on a smaller base of support or just on one foot and then you're going to write the programs accordingly so therefore you get better results long term there you have it there you have it <laughs> so if we move on um marty you want to talk about these so these are optional and these it's funny going back to when i first got in the industry these were like the loaded assessments everybody was doing them like uh one rep maxes and things like that and it's like you know, it didn't ever make it really sense to me. And I'm glad that when I ran to the NASM content, they're like, no, no, we're not doing one rep maxes, et cetera. However, a loaded assessment can still be a good assessment depending on the client and individual, but we're not saying they have to be one rep maxes. So when we do this load assessment, you can pick a intermediate weight, a lightweight, and you're just watching what happens as we talked about a little bit ago is from their static posture into what happens when they move or move under load, like the overhead squat and single leg squat and the split squat. And then what happens when they push, pull, overhead press with some type of load. And again, you'll determine what's safe for each individual. There's no true recommendation because it's going to look at their ability. You're going to have seen their overhead squat assessments. You're going to know if you should or shouldn't load these. But Every movement, every single set of every single rep we do is an assessment, but it's always good just to see what you have at the very beginning when you give them some of these uh, seven fundamental movement patterns. So we're going to look at the push, the pull, a squat, which we already did in the overhead squat, but you might load it as well as an overhead press just to see how their body chooses to recruit muscles to try to emulate that movement pattern. Yeah, and then the same thing with the uh, dynamic assessments. Again, these are optional. And so one thing that I think sometimes we take for granted, and I do this with a lot of my clients, I'm doing it more when they're walking in or when the, when I have them go grab something. Um, and it's, I'm looking at their gait. I'm just seeing how they walk. What, you know, do they shift to one side? Do they have, you know, any kind of foot slap or, you know, do you see their feet go out? What's happening? You know, do they have like where it looks like their leg is somewhat internally rotated? You can get so much information just watching someone walk. And again, we're just making notes and, you know, we provided data to help you correct some of this stuff. But if you don't see it, then you're not going to try to correct it within their programming, which could seriously be detrimental to them because they're going to be working out and you're really not helping clear up some of the compensations because you just didn't see them. Um, but then again, of course, you know, we have obviously the Davies test. Davies test is exceptional um, as a as to, to really analyze what's happening at the upper body. And so you're you've got someone in the push up position. You've got their hands spread at a certain, um, you know, a certain distance. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to have them touch the opposite side. So basically their opposite pinky as fast as they can. But as a trainer, what I'm looking for is how many can they do in a certain amount of time? And not only that, what's happening at their torso? Are they rocking back and forth? Do you notice like a ton of movement in their torso? Is their head falling forward when they're in that prone position? Do they have winging, meaning do their shoulder blades pop up? And, you know, what's happening even at their wrist? Because oftentimes people have struggled to keep their hands straight and all of a sudden they're like, 
sideways before the end of the, the test is over. All of that is very good information to note, especially if you're working with athletes um, that are, let's say, play baseball, they're pitchers, they're playing tennis, you know, because it's giving you a good read of what's happening at the upper body and where compensations can be occurring that maybe you didn't notice when they were, you know, doing like the overhead squat or single leg squat assessment. And then, of course, the death jump, um, if you've noticed someone, you know, just in the overhead squat or the single leg um, squat or even the split squat assessment, if their feet go out, their knees cave in. And the last thing you're going to want to do at that point is, is actually have them do a death jump because that is only going to apply that much more force on the medial knee and can cause issues. However, if you've got someone like a basketball player and they're coming to you out of season, you want to see what they're doing every single day because they're still playing pickup games. They're still working with their, their coaches. As long as you think it's safe, then getting that information, especially in the very beginning, is going to help you program better, especially when you're going to think, OK, what's going to cause that? I really need to focus more on the outer hip, the glute, the glute med, those smaller muscles that you can really see when we're adding that type of, of deceleration off of a box. So, so all really good information. However, it needs to make sense, as Marty said, for your client. And then you also want to make sure, first and foremost, that it's safe and that, you know, you want to start to see definitely um, these things clean up when you reassess after four to six weeks. Yeah. And what I love now with the, the cameras, again, if I'm filming something, I ask my client, can I film it on yours? Because it is their movement assessment. Sometimes people are like, no, feel free. And I tell them, okay, I'll be happy to film it on mine. I'll send it to you. I'm, you know, I won't share this. But what I like now with some of these dynamic assessments is doing it in slow motion because now you can really see what's happening. And, you know, because if somebody's got, you know, relatively good form, you may or may not be able to pick it up at real speed. But when you're looking at it in slow motion and the cameras, our iPhones are so good now, I'd highly recommend videoing the assessments, the squat and overhead squat even, and especially the dynamic and a little bit of slow-mo. So you can really see it yourself, but then use that as a teaching point to your client because they're going to need to see it in slower speed than you would. So I, I really love that feature. Great points. There you go. All right. So then if we move on and we start thinking, I, I, I know I touched on this earlier, but this is this is one that sometimes people are struggling with and why we changed this. So range of motion assessments were removed from the new textbook. And again, what we're trying to do is we're using a goniometer. So you can see that in the picture. I always call it like a human protractor. And the it, it is an amazing way to get someone into a specific position and then measure their joints and how how they are in comparison to ideal range of motion. So, for example, if we're doing dorsiflexion, you've got someone with their legs straight. You have them bring. I always say bring your toes to your nose. So you actually have them flex their foot and then you're making sure they're staying in subtalar neutral. So you're making sure that their ankle is in a good position and then you're actually taking the arm and putting it across their lower leg, as well as taking the upper arm and putting it onto the, let's say the sole of the foot. And you're pushing it forward and you're just taking that measurement. Well, ideal range of motion is 20 degrees. However, a lot of people, especially if you notice that their feet are turning out, do not have that ideal range of motion. It is a compensation and that's why their feet turn out. So you write that number down and then you're comparing it with your overhead squat results to see what's happening. Because again, if you notice that there is issues at the joint, then you know that you're gonna spend more time on the overactive muscles that are restricting that particular joint. If someone has ideal range, meaning they're close anywhere between, let's say, even 15 to 20, 
then you know that what's really causing some of those compensations isn't necessarily an overactive muscle, even though that is something you're still going to focus on, but you're really going to spend more time working the underactive muscle because that was what was allowing that compensation to occur. And so we removed that because it takes time to really get the proper alignment and making sure that your goniometer is in the perfect place. And then also making sure that you're reading the right numbers, because if you if you have never looked at a goniometer, there's a bunch of different numbers on there and you and you need to know which one you're supposed to read. And so they removed that because I am one of those weird people that travel with a goniometer. When I go to the gym, I have my goniometer with me at all times because that's what I learned to do. And that's what I'm comfortable with. However, most people don't even own one. So therefore, how can they still get those same results looking at the, the joint if they don't know how to use it or they don't even own one? And so what I think was amazing, the NASM added into the new content was they did something called mobility assessments that you're going to now use your client as the goniometer mainly. So you're going to get them up. And if you're looking at the, let's say the ankle, then you're going to have them, you know, get up towards a wall, take a two inches back their their one foot, and then can their knee touch the wall? And if it can, they passed. That means they have the right amount of range of motion. And so it's a weakness in the muscle. If they can't, and their knee starts to go into, you know, like valgus, or they just can't touch it, then you know that it is an overactive, uh, overactive muscle. So this is super quick. It's super simple. Yes, no, pass, fail. These are the things you're looking for. And you can get just the same amount of information in half mm -hmm. of the time. And the client can start to see, oh, wow, I really can't, <laughs> my knee really doesn't touch, you know, without the heel coming up or something like that. So, you know, really familiarizing yourself with the mobility assessments, I think can also be a game changer, especially if you have not added some of that stuff in with your clients and it truly takes just seconds to do. Yeah. And I think that it's, you know, still a skill to learn. There's still some things mm -hmm. you have to learn with the mobility assessments, but it's, it's stuff that personal trainers are more accustomed to learning quickly, right? Understanding where the body needs to be and how to get people to move through different ranges of motion. And it's very simple for, as Wendy was saying, to execute it with consistency throughout a facility. So it just makes it uh, easier, but it really helps take your knowledge as a corrective exercise specialist to the whole nother level because now we start allowing you to eliminate certain things and say, okay, this is where I really need to spend my focus because somebody may not want a 35 minute corrective exercise program. They may want it very specific, very targeted. So by adding in these assessments, now you can really narrow your focus to have a, the most impactful program that you can create. And one thing to remember guys is if you notice a compensation and then you do these mobility assessments and you're seeing yes or no, What's really cool about that is they've actually added what, what we've called kind of, um, what are they, breadcrumbs. If you see this, then do these mobility assessments. And so as we move on, you're going to start to see that. So NASM has given you kind of a guide. Remember, I was talking about those flow charts and everything. I think those flow charts will really kind of give you, the more you start to, to get yourself accustomed to it, then um, you're going to start to see a, a clearer way. So for example, you know, like I just said, you know, if you're having someone, you're looking at the foot and ankle, you notice in the overhead squat that their feet turned out, then we want to look at the first MTP joint as well as we're going to perform a weight bearing lunge. Well, the weight bearing lunge is exactly what I told you. Can their knee touch, you know, touch the wall? 
And then for the first MTB, you're just going to have them bend like into like a, almost like a lunge with their back foot, you know, actually dorsiflexed. And then at that point you're seeing, you know, what's happening at the foot. Does it turn in? Does it turn out? What's, what's happening? And, and the MTP joint guys is the, basically the big joint of your first big toe. It's your great toe. And that joint, if it's locked up and it doesn't have ideal range of motion can really be um, detrimental, especially if you're working with a jumping athlete. So for example, like an NBA player going up to the court, that's when, or going up to the rim, that's a very, very important joint. And so this mobility assessment flowchart is something that I would tell you to print out um, and have with you. And then, you know, it, it'll kind of give you a guide and it's like pass, fail, pass, fail. And then you're looking at everything like, oh, OK, when I did this one, these are the muscles I need to focus on because they had good range of motion. And these are the ones, you know, so I want to look at the underactive muscles a little bit more. And then this one, they couldn't even get to the wall or they couldn't get to certain positions. So I really want to spend more time focusing on the foam rolling and the inhibiting. And so it also helps because when you look at everything, especially if you look at someone with an overhead squat and their feet turn out, their knees cave in, they have an anterior pelvic tilt, their, you know, their head juts forward, their arms are falling forward, they have rounded shoulders. You're like, oh my goodness, I'm going to spend all day having them foam roll and stretch. Well, this kind of helps out with that too. And one thing that I would tell you, if not only do you print out that assessment flow chart and, you know, the mobility assessment flow chart as well, print this out. This is the solutions table. I have one with me at all times too. I mean, I feel pretty confident in my, uh, in my over inactive, you know, muscles and everything, but you know, it's okay to always have something there just to make sure that the more you look at it, the more it becomes second nature to you. And so that's one thing, you know, people get a little stressed out, like, all right, I have all these compensations. Now I don't know what to do. That solutions chart will tell you exactly what to do. Yeah. And again, just practice, 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 repetition, but you know, it's practicing it with a purpose and a plan. When you see the improvements that people make in yourself as well, I'm sure that uh, most of you will have some type of movement impairment that you need to work on. Then it just starts to really kind of sink into the importance, but also then the methodology becomes more clear. So that's where you want to give you great advice about carrying those templates around with you, but really, really commit to focusing on this for everybody, regardless of their goals, regardless of their fitness level, corrective exercise is a must for everybody. And I know that there was actually, you know, there was a comment that came in and said that they, you know, someone, um, so JPF, um, I took the corrective exercise specialization course and passed it. The course said that I didn't have to study that part because it's not going to be on the test, needless to say, but I taught myself. And remember, guys, what we're trying to do is teach you guys how to be successful in your career and ways to really help someone, um, especially if there are comp like compensations. And so I. I mean, I want everyone to pass the test. I mean, that's why we do these things. However, I want you to be successful and actually apply the information and the content so you can be the best at your craft. And so just keep that in mind, too, that, yes, it may not be on the test. And I don't know if it is or if it isn't. I took the CS, the new one, just because I wanted to see how well I would do. Um, and I thought that there were some mobility questions on there. I could be wrong. However, I mean, if it's not, then 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 it's not. But I mean, I still think, like I said, I use the GONI, but now I'm starting to implement the mobility assessments. It is taking half the time and I'm still getting the same great information. Absolutely. Awesome, important stuff. Yes. All right. So when we move on.
Marty, you want to take this one? Yeah, so we, we kind of touched on it already with the mobility assessments, obviously the importance of it. So we're going to still stick to our five kinetic chain checkpoints. So you'll see here foot and ankle. And again, what we're doing is we're looking at how to do it properly and why we're doing it. So let's look at the foot and ankle here. So what are we assessing? So dorsiflexion and that ability of foot and ankle to move without compensation. Then we go through the knee, lumbar, pelvic, kick complex, all the way through the five kinetic chain checkpoints. So we're going to always talk about the importance of it. And, you know, the key thing here, I think some great points that come back out is thoracic, you know, spine mobility. I think that that often goes missed. And I, you know, I think we do a good job here in talking a little bit more about thoracic rotation and add a few other little things here in the course. And I think it's just a good reminder for people that have gone through corrective exercise. It's still to me very valuable to go through the new content because as Wendy said, there's maybe some efficiencies you can pick up, some new little tidbits. And to me, I think one of the most important things that I see is the importance of thoracic spine and also the cervical spine, how that affects the upper extremity. You know, a lot of people have shoulder problems and they focus on the lat and the pec, and that's awesome. But you've got to have great mobility in your thoracic spine and you've got to have great mobility in your cervical spine and certain muscles because they all work together. So I, I'm really happy how this kind of came together in the new course. Mm -hmm. Well, and Lauren had a question. I'm taking my CPT exam Saturday for the sixth edition. Any advice? for the corrective exercises. And um, Lauren, keep in mind that the CPT and the CES are gonna be different. And so when you're going to sit for your CPT exam, you know, you wanna think, I mean, the, and like, you're still gonna look at the assessments. You, it's gonna be very important that you feel comfortable on what are the five kinetic chain checkpoints and what is ideal versus what are compensations you wanna note. And then from that, maybe what muscles would be underactive and what muscles would be overactive. And remember, with the overactive muscles, you're going to lengthen and, or inhibit first and then lengthen. So you're going to foam roll and then you're going to provide link to those overactive muscles. And then for the the activate section or the underactive muscles, that's when you're going to do some specific exercises to help um, re-engage those muscles to start working the way that they were supposed to work, which will over time, because remember, it takes four to six weeks for the body to adapt. You're going to start to see those compensations clean up, especially if they're doing it um, daily, if not um, every time they see you for sure. Um, it, again, when it comes to the exam, just feel comfortable with what your what muscles are the prime movers, what exercises are going to target those specific or specific prime movers, and what muscles or what exercises are appropriate with each phases. And I think if you have a clear understanding and feel comfortable, you're going to do very, very well. Absolutely. And then I can address uh, the other comment here from JPF about we're getting, we're, we're on this uh, introductory roundtable talking about the CES. We did do a CPT six to seven last week. So I know that you can access it. So there's new stuff. There's no question. But, you know, when we added anything, I wouldn't really say anything was debunked by the seventh edition. It, the model's the model. We movement assessments. We have the three phases of training, the acute variables, the science, that type of science has not changed. We tweaked a word here and there. We validated some new research. And one of the changes was, you know, with self-myofascial uh, release, we call it self-myofascial technique. We still know it's highly effective, but again, since the research couldn't say exactly that it was a release, we just changed terminology. But there's new stuff and new things, but the science is still there and the model has still once again proven to be the best training system that's out there. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> That's why we're here. 
Um, so if we move on to the next slide, um, these are just some examples, and I know that we've we've kind of gone through these before, but you know, those of you guys that have missed some of our previous webinars, these are just some of the new mobility assessments. This by far is not all of them. However, these are the very common ones, but you can see how quick it is to assess this. Have someone, again, do a weight-bearing lunge. Does their knee touch the wall? Yes or no. And then leg extension, they're laying down. Can they straighten their knee? And if so, yes or no. You know, when they're laying on their stomach and you just have them bring their legs out to the side, you know, there's their uh, knees are bent at 90 degrees. You have them fall. And what you're looking for is from straight on. Do you see them about 45 degrees? Meaning, does it is it from where it started to where they go? Are we about halfway from the floor? And if so, then if they are, then it's a yes. If not, then it's a no. And you may only see one side. And that's one of the things I think people sometimes get messed up on. They're like, but I only saw it on the left. Well, then you're going to do corrective exercises specifically for that left side. It does not mean that you need to do it on the right because there was no compensation noted. So just realize that sometimes you're going to notice that something is going to be only on one side and you're going to do corrective exercises on that one side and then go into your activation integration and everything for the entire body before you get them into resistance. And that is totally acceptable and what you actually should be doing. And so just so you know, these are just a couple of them, but you can see how quick and simple they are. And if you, you know, like a shoulder flexion, they're laying down, can their arm go over their head without bending or without going out to the side or, you know, but basically can they keep their arms straight and can they do this standing up against the wall? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so, and you're also looking for a big arch in the low back. And that's one of the things that the textbook teaches you how to perform it, what you're looking for, and common compensations that you possibly could see if someone is going to, quote, fail that particular assessment. Yep. Excellent. We had Barbara here who passed the CES last summer. Awesome job. So, Wendy, if you want to address where she can find the new information. Yeah. So, basically, with the, the, you know, the new CES, you would end up, you know, obviously having to get the new content, but they have it where now it's online as well. So, you can actually get the hardcover book. For, I mean, I like to have both. So I like that book so I can go through, highlight, make my notes, do that kind of stuff. But then also the way that they did the actual CES workshop on, or um, sorry, workshop, the actual content, they, they did it video based. And I find those to be incredible because I'm a very visual learner. And, you know, Rick Ritchie, Tony Ambler, right? Those were two of the primary people that went through the CES and they are pretty much your video guys. They do a really good job demoing it and then helping you kind of figure out what you're doing, especially if you're new to this kind of stuff. So I like the online version because of the videos that were included in it. However, if you just go to nasm.org, you can find what your options are and get it there. Cool. So if we want to go on to our next slide here, I know we can get into a whole bunch of cool little things, but so we want to talk about the important considerations of the mobility assessment. So if you want to touch on this. Yeah. So, you know, again, we just want to think that, you know, we're trying to look now at ways to indicate if someone's restricted. And, you know, I, I said this before, but this is really important. If someone, um, let's say, is doing the weight bearing lunge, I know I keep using that as an example, but if you have someone and you have them properly set up and their front foot, which is the one that you're looking at, is two inches back from the wall and their knee touches but you notice that their feet turned out in the overhead squat, then it's due to an underactive muscle more than a restriction at the joint. If somebody is 
cannot touch their knee to the wall, then you're going to focus a lot more on the um, release. So you're going to focus on foam rolling and then getting better length through static stretching on that particular area. And then you're going to go into activating, but you know that you can just really focus on integrating it later. So just focusing a lot on the, the inhibit and lengthening um, if it's restricted and then focusing a lot more on the activation if it is not limited. However, there was a compensation. So just make sure that you just can recognize your pass and fail benchmarks. And then at that point, look at your solutions table, look at the breadcrumbs that are provided in the new content to help you, you know, guide you in your programming and just realize that these can be done uh, done super, super quick. So if it's taking you a lot longer then that just means you need to practice with it. So you know exactly what to look for. So it's just a yes, no, yes, no. And they don't have to do it for reps. It's like, I want you to do it. And then you can have them relax. Try again. Maybe if you think it's a fail and you just didn't see it and you want to try, you know, just do it for a couple reps or even once and then move on. Exactly. So speaking of moving on, we'll go to the next slide. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I can touch on this. Nothing's changed here. It's still the same four-step process. So we're going to review it, obviously. We're going to talk about, again, myofascial techniques. So it's not myofascial release. Then we get in lengthening. We're going to talk about static stretching. We're going to get into some neuromuscular stretching. And then in all phases, we're going to talk about how you can add dynamic stretching. And simply put, what's dynamic to some people is not going to be dynamic to others. So don't think of it as ballistic dynamic. It's just getting people to move with that new range of motion. So we added that in. And then when we get into the third and fourth phases, activate, we're going to do isolated strengthening. And then again, the integrated dynamic movement. So four steps as always, but we just add a couple cool kind of little features in there in the lengthening. Yes. And then that kind of brings us into blending in your programming. And so I, I just, I can't emphasize this enough. And I know Marty can't either, but guys, just remember when you're looking at the OPT model, you know, we have you do certain things in order to execute better movement patterns in the resistance component. And so when you're looking at the CES and you're looking at your assessments, you're really focusing on the muscles that were overactive. So you're going to inhibit and lengthen those muscles. And then you're going to activate those muscles that allow that compensation to happen. And we look, we term that more of the lengthening mus muscles or the weaker muscles that allow that compensation to occur. That's when we're focusing a lot on the core and the balance to try to re-engage some of these muscles. And then when we're doing integration, we're just basically taking one or two. It's not like a full body, you know, or a, a full blown workout, but you could do like a total body exercise, something like a squat to row or a step up to balance to overhead press. You can do something like that where it focuses on reintegrating, as Marty said, the body for the upper and the lower to work together. And you're teaching your body and your brain how to control those movements at a slower pace. So the right muscles are firing at the right time and the right plane of motion. And then again, you can actually just do a cool down. If you want to do, you know, let's say three to five body parts because, you know, you only did a few activations and you need to quote, do an hour, that's okay. Because what here you're thinking about it is it's an individualized program for that particular uh, client that came in based on their movement patterns. However, you can also take that and then we can go into the next slide and think about how we can blend that into a phase one workout. And Marty, I mean, if you want to kind of talk through it, I mean, this is just one that, I mean, I, I it took, 
no time to put together, but you can see the significance of, of how that could be blended into someone that wants to lose weight. Yeah. So for the sake of time, I'll give a very high level overview. Wendy and I have done other uh, master instructor roundtables on exact program design. So when we do the warm up, you'll see here that, you know, we get into the self myofascial techniques, the common muscles that are overactive for most people. And this is what the assessment would have showed us. So from the lower extremity, you got lateral gastroc, bicep for more short head and the TFL. Obviously, you guys know the techniques. We're going to hold that tender area for 30 seconds. Then we get into our static stretch. And we got to lengthen that tissue back out. So the same muscles, the lateral gastroc, bicep for more short head TFL. Science shows us we need to hold it for a minimum of 20 to 30 seconds. Then we can do now, this is new, a dynamic stretch. So an inchworm. Again, it's not explosive plyometrics. It's just getting people to move with that new range of motion. So it's still under control, but that would fall into more of a dynamic stretch category than what people are used to seeing from a corrective exercise when we add that in. Then activation, we have to now work the muscles that are underactive, allowing that bad motion. So you can see here, we've got the medial gastroc, that's why the toes are turned inward, anterior tib, and the floor bridge. We use our tempo, four, two, one, two sets, 12 reps, and you can see that's a great way to get the body moving before we get into our skill development. So we added this term in here because you really are getting better at a skill. So it's our plyometrics and or speed agility quickness if appropriate for that client. So this one would be a squat jump with the stabilization hold. They only jump as high as they can control the landing quietly and in the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And then you'll hold that, like I said, for three to five seconds. Then we now can move into the resistance training. So we blend it in from the warm-up into the activation into the skill development now we can get into some resistance training some simple examples are standing cable chest press we, we want triple extension on that back leg that's why that node is there obviously neutral spine single leg cable row then a ball uh, prone cobra which is great for that posture a triple extension again you're pushing your legs into that back wall you want to create that movement patterning and then a step up to balance triple flexion on the leg that comes up to balance so we're working on that triple flexion triple extension and then a client's choice so this must have been me for when <laughs> we designed this so we're going to do the bicep so why not do a single leg bicep curl to at least incorporate some of that stabilization and make me really control that bicep curl with a slow controlled tempo which is going to work all the other muscles postural core, et cetera. And then cool down. We're going to go back over the muscles that tend to be overactive or that we targeted during the workout. So we'll do our self myofascial technique for the lateral gastroc, bicep, femur, short head, TFL, and then stretch those same muscles with the static stretching. And then the coaching tips here were to perform this in a vertically loaded fashion, always maintaining proper five kinetic chain checkpoints. Yes. And like I said, this is a, this is actually a program that I've done with a client. So just know that, you know, this is something that it, it is not that we do this just for the sake of doing these for the webinars, but these are actual clients that have had, you know, certain compensations. And, you know, I felt like it was appropriate just to show this is something that I can do. I can get this done within an hour. Marty's done this as well. And, you know, if it's taking you longer to do two sets at a four, two, one tempo, then there's probably too much yapping going on and not enough, you know, moving from one to another, because remember it's a weight loss client. Correct. You want to keep them moving. You want to make sure that their heart rate stays elevated and moving them from one to another to another. Um, it's only going to burn more calories throughout that workout, which is going to also focus on that goal while you're working on corrective movement and, you know, patterns to help with the impairments that you saw in the assessment. 
And so, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, here's just an example, but just know you can do this uh, and, and it's going to be super beneficial for your clients. No doubt. No doubt. All right. So then, I mean, our, basically our key takeaways is that there are content changes. There were updates made. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, if you're a research nerd like Marty and I, I, I really appreciated the new research that was included in there of why these changes, um, you know, why these changes occurred. And so I think, you know, if, if you guys want to see that, you'll understand why we changed more of the, like Marty said, you know, now it's self-myofascial techniques, all of that stuff is in there. Um, we had some great um, subject matter experts that contributed to this textbook. Um, the assessments obviously were updated to help maximize results in less time. And then of course, you know, program designs are always going to be based on the assessment results. And then in assessment results could be obviously their, their subjective results, meaning their ultimate goals. And then all CES programs can be blended into the phases of the model, you know, but the big key, have fun, make sure your clients are having fun, but also be very, very particular with their movement patterns because quality of movement matters. Absolutely. And as we bring up our contact information, there is a question here. How do I apply this on a 30 minute session? A couple of different ways. One, you can maybe just go to one set where we had two sets or as you've trained this client to do the warm up on their own, they may come in and do that prior to the session. Once you have confidence that they know how to do it properly and or the cool down, the cool down can be done. You don't let them off the hook, but it can be done after your 30 minute session. Yes. Cool. And that's often what I do too. You know, like if I've got multiple people, cause sometimes I'll even train, you know, um, I'll train a group. And so they all come in, they know to grab their foam roller. They know to start doing some of the rolling that's going to be beneficial because that's obviously individualized as well. So if you're, you know, a group trainer, you know, meaning you do a lot of group classes, you know, just have people come in five or 10 minutes early. It does not have to be, you know, integrated into the session. However, if they're running late, do not let them skip that part because if you let us skip the the foam rolling or stretching component of it they're not going to think that it's important because you let it slide once and you know if you're like we'll just do it when you get home you know that's not going to happen so it is you have to make it a priority and then you have to say hey because you came in and you didn't foam roll and stretch we're going to have to take time out to do that of your program so we're only going to be able to get one set in so just just know that you've got to set the ground rules and not break that if that's truly how you're going to work with someone Absolutely. So when another amazing session, I greatly appreciate uh, hanging out with you for about an hour. So do you want to give them your contact information? Sure. If you guys have any questions, feel free to email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then you'll see my information there, marty.miller at nasm.org and Instagram dr.martymiller72. We always enjoy spending time with you and we look forward to seeing you again next week.